Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are studying the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. Who is the Son of Man? I would like you all to pray for me over these next two weeks because I will be traveling and therefore I will not be recording a podcast for the next two weeks, which I am quite sorry about. But I do plan to record something to introduce my book, which, as I mentioned last week, is coming out October 19th. I want to make sure that you all know about the day of release so you can download the ebook free during those first five days. I wish I could keep it free longer, but again, Amazon won't allow me to offer it permanently free, so please download it during those first five days when it can be free. But now let's start our study with a prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the ability you give us to approach life in a new way, to see things through not our own eyes, but through your spirit. Allow this not to be the best part of our day, but merely a building block to something better to come. Amen. Oh, I forgot to mention my bourbon this week. I was able to get a little bit from a friend of Copper and King's new bourbon. Copper and King's is a distillery here in Louisville, Kentucky that specialized in brandy. So they made brandy alone for years, but they just recently developed a bourbon that is aged in the brandy barrels, and you get a bit of that sweetness from it. It's really a very smooth and sippable bourbon, one with very fruity notes, particularly of apple. But let's go ahead and we'll jump in with our reading. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Some Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven." Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. So this scripture, the one we read today, is a very controversial scripture. It means different things to different people, and particularly depending upon your denomination or your branch of Christianity, this scripture might heavily influence your own worship service and church experience, even though you may not realize it. And in fact, you may not understand the importance of this scripture to your faith, but luckily, we're going to discuss it. But before we get into it, we have to first talk about the background, because the background of this passage 
plays a large role in its influence. Particularly, the region is important. Caesarea was a major city that Herod the Great built on the Mediterranean coast. But this Caesarea was not that Caesarea. This was Caesarea Philippi, built by Herod's son, Philip, from which this Caesarea gets its name. It was smaller, but still important. And most impactfully for our scripture, this city was situated next to a huge rock cliff for which the city was known for. Additionally, the city was known for the worship of the Greek god Pan. In fact, before the city was called Caesarea Philippi, many people knew it as Panarus, calling back to that Greek god Pan. So this site was known for the worship of a god outside of Israel, and also for having a big rock, which I think is fairly understandable when we compare it to our scripture. Because our scripture talks a lot about rocks. But in this scripture, Jesus starts with a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? It's important that Christ, even though he has revealed his divinity many times throughout Scripture, hasn't truly revealed his nature yet. Which can seem a bit odd. The Gospel of Matthew is only 28 chapters, and right now we're on chapter 16, but still the disciples do not truly gasp Jesus' complete identity, even though we're halfway through the Gospel. So Jesus asked them this question, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they answer, uh, some say it was John the Baptist who was recently executed, or others, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They answer with this very generic way, right? Some say. Some say what? When someone tells me that people say, I assume they're just not confident enough to say what they truly mean. I say. Because when you hear people are saying, it's not people are saying something, it's that person is saying something. And that's what the disciples are doing. They are saying their belief that maybe it's John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, someone who's dead, who's no longer with us. They're not thinking about Jesus. But then Jesus asked a more direct question. Who do you think I am? Now, the Bible is written not quite in the literary format that we would expect for a novel today. The Bible was written centuries ago and doesn't have all of the nuances that you would expect in a modern bestseller. The Bible is not the latest Stephen King novel. If it was, however, I imagine that there would be written here a pause, one in which the disciples are looking back and forth, wondering who's going to speak up first because no one really knows this answer, before Peter confidently stands up and shouts, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He said the quiet part out loud. And because of that, he was blessed. 
Now, I needed that drink before I go into this next section, because this is where we start talking about the controversy. What did Jesus mean by calling Peter the rock? Because Jesus calls out Peter and says, that I tell you, you truly are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Depending on your church and your denomination, this statement is either very important or very not important. Because this statement is the basis for the Western Catholic Church to have their Pope. Peter is considered the first Bishop of Rome, or the first Pope. And the Western Catholic Church believes that the current Pope, or current Bishop of Rome, is Peter's successor. And that he is the rock. They believe that the Pope, through Peter, has the keys to the kingdom of heaven to tighten or loosen anything here on earth. But the controversy here comes from the actual words Jesus says. Because Jesus, throughout this paragraph, is speaking in a lot of metaphors. So the name Peter roughly translates to a loose piece of rock. That's what it is, a loose piece of rock. And Jesus says that you truly are this rock. And on this rock, he he used a different term, slightly different for rock. And the second point, I will build my church. For the Catholic church, Peter is the rock. He is the rock that the church is being built upon. But this scripture has been causing divisions between Christians for centuries. And it's not merely a division between Protestants and Catholics, but in fact, this scripture was at the heart of the schism between the Orthodox, or Eastern Catholic Church, and the Western, or current Catholic Church, back during the Roman Empire. Because there was a fight for supremacy between five very important bishops in the early church. They were called the Five Patriarchs. Back then, there wasn't one supreme bishop, but five who jostled for position. It was the bishop in Rome, the bishop in Constantinople, and then the bishop in Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. And for the most part, it kind of descended in that order. Uh, Rome seemed to be more important, and then the Bishop of Constantinople, and then those other three bishops under them. But, But they all struggled for power in their own ways. And this power struggle mirrored the larger struggle in the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire at this point was divided between the East and the West. Each one wanted to be the more powerful section. Now, it's important that the Eastern Roman Empire, the the part without Rome actually in it, had four of the five patriarchs. Uh, Only the Bishop of Rome was in the Western part of the empire. So when the Bishop of Rome decided that he truly wanted to be recognized by these other bishops as their superior, and they said no, well, the church divided. 
with those four bishops forming what would be now called Orthodox Christianity, and the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, forming the Catholic sphere. And this separation was based on the interpretation of this very scripture. For the Orthodox Christians, this scripture extended only to Peter. Peter held the keys to the kingdom. He was the rock. But after he was gone, his title did not pass on. There was no succession to this gatekeeper or or this one who would hold the keys. That was St. Peter's alone. And the Bishop of Rome, even if he was the successor to Peter, did not hold a claim to that title. The Bishop in Rome disagreed. He believed that the title given to Peter was his to carry on because he was a successor to Peter. He believed that he was the rock. And that is still, to this day, the basis of the division between the Orthodox and the Catholic Church, even though there has been, over the centuries, many additional changes between these two churches. This scripture and the interpretation of this metaphor that Jesus says is central to their division. But this isn't the only way that this scripture has been interpreted. Because Protestants have particularly tried to place a different emphasis on this metaphor. And their interpretation becomes a bit more tricky. Because many Protestant churches do not believe that Peter was actually in charge of the kingdom. They don't believe that he had the authority to loosen or bind, but instead this metaphor is referring to something else. Because many Protestant churches believe that Jesus was referring not to Peter when he said, on this rock, but instead to the rock that was located at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was referencing the location, but not Peter. They believe then that Jesus is referencing the truth that Peter revealed. On the rock of Jesus being the Messiah, the truth will be revealed, that the kingies of the kingdom of heaven are given to this truth, not to Peter as an individual, but to Christians everywhere. And that Peter merely is opening the door to salvation. He is unlocking the door with the keys, but he is not truly in charge of the keys. They believe that Peter fulfilled this duty on the day of Pentecost, when the kingdom was fully revealed. As you can see, there's a lot to the scripture, and a lot of the difficulty we have with translation comes from these metaphors. How is it that we are to interpret the rock? Is Peter the rock? Is the location the rock? Do the keys mean that he has the keys permanently, or are they used simply to open the door? Does this rock hood, for lack of a better term, translate to the person who comes after Peter, or is it just for Peter? There is a lot of questions that are left unanswered in this passage. And frankly, I'm not going to tell you what is right. 
I believe you as my listeners are an incredibly intelligent individual, a smart person who can come to your own understanding of this scripture and of this metaphor given to us by Jesus. Because I can tell you, I can open the Bible and read the same passage each and every day and still the Holy Spirit will speak to me through those words differently each and every time. That's the glory of the Bible. The Spirit can work through it, allowing the same person to read the same scripture or different people to read the same scripture and have different aspects of it speak to them in that moment. That is a beautiful thing, not a, not a thing to be troubled by. And we see it here in this scripture. We see the unique ways that individuals can see the same passage with Peter being the rock or Jesus being the rock. In the end, that's why we study our scripture. As I mentioned earlier, there will be no podcast next week or the following week, even though I'm planning on doing a slight update to give you a bit more information about the book release and how to get a copy for free. When we do come back in three weeks, we will move into the beginning of the end of Jesus's ministry. We'll be talking about Jesus revealing himself during the transfiguration. And from that moment, well, it's the beginning of the end. It's his march toward crucifixion and then into later glory. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. While it's true that Jesus drank wine and occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help and don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone.